All right. What's up, family? Everybody doing all right today? All right. Good to see you. I'm almost convinced that you're doing good today. Come on. Are you guys doing all right? Good to be in church, right? Come on. Woo. What's up? Hey, a uh, special shout out to Brian Thompson. Our air conditioning went out in our Kid Life building. Uh, the first service, he got back there. He's like, MacGyver, he just needed some duct tape and some bubble gum. He put it on that sucker so your kids are not sweating and stinking up. So thanks, Brian. All right. Hey, you guys enjoying the, the year of the Bible? Is it going good? Going good? Okay. All right. Uh-huh. 13 of you are doing it, so that's good. I'm just joking. I know I've been hearing a lot of stories from folks that are, are enjoying it, and uh, I do want to just reiterate what Pastor Rick was saying. Uh, look, the Word of God, it says it's like a double-edged sword, and, it, and it, it cuts through the center of who you are. In the original language, it's talking about the marrow of the bones, which that's the deepest part of what they knew about the human anatomy at that point. Like, they thought that was the, the physical makeup of the person. What it's saying is, look, there's times in your life when your flesh and your spirit, they're going to get all mixed up together. And that's when you need the word of God that will help you see what is eternal and what is powerful and what is ultimate truth and what is just temporary. And so I'd encourage you, if you're in a place in your life where you just, you're struggling, you're struggling in your flesh, you're struggling with situation and circumstance, I promise you the applied word of God will change your life. If you got behind on the reading and you're way too far behind, don't try to catch up. You just get discouraged. Just jump right back in wherever you can. I've gotten behind a few times. I love the Bible app because I can just get on there and listen to it as I'm driving down the road. Helps me get caught up. Uh, You may need to do that, but let's get in the word of God together. Amen? All right, we're going to talk about a pretty familiar story. Now, uh, typically throughout the series, we've either been talking about a passage of Scripture that was in the, the week before reading plans or the upcoming week reading plans, but I'm going to kind of break the rules a little bit because that's kind of how I roll. Uh, I'm going to go back a little bit further, like a week and a half, because I want to talk about John 11 and this portion of scripture. Now, this is a story that a lot of us have heard before. You may have, if you've been around church, you've heard pastors, preachers probably teach on this before, and the tendency that can happen when you've heard about something before is you're just like, oh, I already heard everything there is to hear about this. I'm just going to take a nap. Uh, I don't appreciate you not doing that. I'd appreciate you just engaging. I believe that God wants to teach us some more through this portion of Scripture. Let me give you some context. Jesus is out doing ministry, teaching. All of a sudden, he gets word that his best friend, Lazarus, is very, very ill. Okay, that's the message that he gets. So he gets this message that his best friend, Lazarus, is really, really ill, and he decides, ah, I'm just going to hang out for a couple more days, do some more ministry. Okay, that would be like me getting word that Cody is really, really ill, and I'm like, I'm just going to stay in Branson a couple more days. Really like Silver Dollar City, going to get on some more roller coasters. Uh, I'd be in trouble. Uh, But Jesus already knew that Lazarus was already dead. It took them a while to get the message to him. He's already dead. So he stays, he does some ministry. He knows he's God, so he's building this whole thing, setting this whole thing up to glorify himself and to glorify his heavenly Father. And so a few days later, he starts heading back to Bethany where Lazarus and Mary and Martha lived, these close friends of his. As he's getting closer, Martha, one of the sisters, comes out and says, Jesus, if only you had come back sooner, my brother wouldn't be dead. And Jesus recognizes something in her at that point and kind of speaks to her lack of faith, okay? And then later, as he gets even closer, Mary comes out, and she says basically the same thing, but he has a totally different response to Mary. His response to Mary 
is that he's broken. He begins to weep with her. Two different hearts, same type of words, same type of semantics, but two different hearts. We're going to talk about that. So this we're going to pick up with this story. John chapter 11, you've got your Bible apps, whatever kind of fruit phone you use, Blackberry, Apple, whatever you have. Uh, Let's look at this together. Get in your Bible app. Get your Bible out. Chapter 11, verse 33. NIV. When Jesus saw her weeping, uh, speaking of Mary, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he have opened the eyes, uh, the same man that opened the eyes of the blind man, have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, Martha said, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad order, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Now, I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. I want to talk about how Jesus handles the dead things in our life. How does Jesus handle the difficult, the dead things that happen in our lives? Because I think he proved in this and he explained that he is really, really good at dealing with the things that seem dead or seem difficult that may be going on in our lives. Lazarus was Jesus' best friend. He was like a brother to them, to him. And uh, Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha. We talked a little bit about them last week and the story where he was in their house. And, and this group of people, Lazarus and Mary and Martha, outside of the 12 disciples, specifically uh, Peter, John, and James, these were his peeps. These were, this was his crew. This is who Jesus would hang out with. Now, he wouldn't do a lot of ministry with them, but he would just hang out with them just to be recharged, just to be refreshed. These are the type of people, people where, you know, you got to have those close friends that take jabs at you, talk some trash every once in a while, but encourage you and love on you. you got refrigerator rights in their house. You don't ever have to ask when you want to come over. You just show up because you're just that kind of friend. These were the types of friends that Lazarus, Mary, and Martha were to Jesus. Everybody's got to have a friend like that. I hope you have a friend like that. How many of you also have a friend that are life-sucking leeches in your life? Like you want to unfriend them permanently, but they just keep coming around. And when they come and they're hanging out with you, it could be like 8 o'clock at night, but it feels like midnight. And you're like, good Lord, when are they ever going to leave, okay? The unfortunate thing is some of you feel like you're married to that person. And if that's the case, this is not the time to elbow or look. Just look straight forward. Let the grace of God rest in your life. But you got to have those friends that will just restore you and refresh you. That is who Lazarus was. Now, here's the deal. When They delivered this message to Jesus. All they had to say was, the one you love is very ill. The one you love is very ill. And Jesus knew he was talking about Lazarus. That's how close this relationship was. Okay, so so in our lives, right? 
Like if a redneck heard the one you love is ill, he'd be like, oh, no, not my, derp, my bird dog. Oh, good Lord. Or Earnhardt Jr., oh, God, please hail him, Jesus, okay? Uh, if a narcissist heard that the one you love is sick, he'd be like, oh, I feel fine. What are you talking about? I'm good. If someone came to me and said the one you love is ill, I'd be like, oh, no, Cody is, is sick or on any given day. Two out of the four of my children, I'd be like, oh, I love them so much. Don't judge me. You know how that is. You know what I'm talking about. But to deliver this message to Jesus, look, they had to travel away. They had to cross a lake, a valley, and a mountain to get to Jesus. So Lazarus is already dead. So Jesus stayed a couple more days. And he starts coming back on the scene around the fourth day. Now that's significant because in Jewish folklore, supposedly, the spirit of a dead person, they believe that sometimes it would hang around for a few days until the third day, then it would leave. So Jesus wanted to make sure, okay, nobody's going to be able to explain what I'm getting ready to do with folklore. This is going to be totally God. This is going to be totally my father doing this thing. But a Jewish funeral would last 10 days. 10 days. How many of you just love going to funerals, okay? If you're in this place and you love going to funerals, I'm praying for you. Because it's not necessary. But 10 days, funerals. But there was different, there's different stages in the funeral, okay? So the first three days is like this just wailing, screaming, just painful. Just like, and even if you didn't know the person, you would wail and mourn like these people, okay? So it'd be crazy yelling and screaming the first three days. And then the next four days, they just take it down a level. Take it down a level. Somebody's still freaking out. They'd be like, hey, that was day three. This is day four. You settle down. Take it down. And by the last three days, it was kind of like, don't miss them. Where the fried chicken at? I need some green, green bean casserole. I'm still going to miss them, but I want to eat, okay? But they would be freaking out. So it would be like, even the first three days, like, yeah, God, no. Who were they? I didn't even know him. Oh, God. Next four days, like, man, we got, got to look at some more pictures. I'm going to miss them. And then they were just cool after that. But it took 10 days to get through this. Jesus shows up. Martha and Mary had already, or Martha had come out and said, Jesus, if you had only come earlier, then my brother would still be alive. And when he, she says that, she comes to Jesus the same way a lot of us come to Jesus with our problems. We come to him with an if. God, if you would have only... If you would have just done this, God, then I wouldn't be dealing with this. So Jesus sees that of Martha and says, well, hold on a second. This is not going to end the way that you think that it's going to end. And so kind of calls some faith out of Martha. Now Mary comes out and Mary says almost the exact same thing. If Jesus, if you had only come sooner, my brother would, would not be dead. But, but Mary is broken and mourning. And when Jesus sees these other people coming behind her, he breaks as well. Something is shook loose inside of him. How does Jesus dead with dead th- uh, deal with dead things? First of all, Jesus comes to us with emotion. He comes to us with emotion. John eleven thirty five, shortest verse in the Bible. Anybody in this room can memorize this verse. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. But I don't want you to underestimate the significance of that statement because why is he weeping? Why is he so broken? It's not just because his best friend died. It's much more than that. 
It's because he sees the lack of hope in the people that are mourning this death. And it says that his spirit is deeply troubled. Why is it troubled? Because people were mourning as people without hope. And he came to bring hope. He's broken and he's weeping because he hates the fact that they don't see exactly who he is. They don't see that he came to bring life and life to the full. They can only see the death that's in front of them. And so on the inside, he is raging against that. And on the outside, he weeps with them. This is so important. See, God doesn't just know everything. He feels everything. God doesn't just know all the details of your life, but he feels everything that you feel. So when you're hurt, guess what? He's going to hurt with you. And here's the deal. Jesus knows that in just a few minutes, the whole situation is about to change. Like in five minutes, he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. If it were me, I would have been like, y'all, y'all having a funeral. I'm about to turn into a part-time. So y'all quit your crying. Quit your fake crying. Turn down for what? Come on now. But Jesus stays in the moment in their pain. He's not five minutes ahead of it. He's not ten minutes ahead of it. He's not eight days ahead of it. He could have been as far ahead of it. But he stays in the moment in their pain. And that's exactly what Jesus will do in your life. He will meet you exactly where you are in that place of pain. Some of you may have walked in here wondering if anybody here gives a rip about what's happened in your life. And I want you to know we give a rip, but more importantly than that, Jesus gives a rip. He gives a rip. He feels it. He is feeling it with you. And he's ready to meet with you, but he's not going to just leave you there. Another thing that Jesus does in dealing with death is he exposes the dead things. He exposes the dead things. He says, look, take away the stone. But on that command, Martha, man, like her sense of correctness kicks in. She's like, hold on, Jesus. Whoa, 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 whoa. Like, you can't take away this stone. He stank. The King James Version actually says it this way. Behold, he stinketh. That's what it says in the King James Version. <laughs> Every once in a while, King James Version nails it. I like it. But Jesus understands that in order for dead things to have life, they have to be exposed to the light. In order for the dead things in your life to be healed and restored, they've got to come into the light. You can't just pile a big heavy rock in front of the dead things of your life and hope that maybe it's just going to go away. It's not. No longer it's there, the more it's going to stink. The harder it is, it's going to be to deal with it. Last week we talked about David and Nathan and, and how Nathan came to David and held him accountable, called out the dead thing that was in his life, told him that he knew, that God knew about Bathsheba and the sin that he committed. Here's what we didn't discuss. The, the fact is that when Nathan came to David at that point, guess what? It had been two years, two years 
David had not written a psalm in two years. David had not made one administrative decision for his kingdom in two years. David had not gone to war in two years. Why? Because he was trying to pile a big old heavy stone in front of this dead thing that was in his life, this sin. And it took a friend that loved him enough to come along and say, we've got to expose this thing. We've got to expose this dead thing in your life so that we can have life again. So the only way that David was going to move forward is somebody had to come along and remove the dead thing. Remove the stone and expose the dead thing in his life. And it's the same thing in your life. You're going to need somebody to come along and help you expose the dead thing that's in your life if you ever want to see life again. You've got to let that thing be exposed. And that's what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to expose this thing. And here's the deal. I want to tell you something. When I was growing up, when I went to church, like I never felt safe to, to really be real, to be myself. Uh, when I when I was when my parents were going through the divorce, like we, like I was broken, I was hurting, and I couldn't. I didn't even feel like I could talk even to my youth pastor about how I was really feeling. And the few times I ever feel like I shared like something I was dealing with, a sin or whatever, I felt like it was used against me later on. Like as soon as they found out about my sin, it meant I couldn't serve anywhere, I couldn't lead anywhere, I couldn't do anything. When I came to New Life Church, one of the first times I walked into a staff meeting with Pastor Rick, he's like, all right, everybody, hey, how's your marriage? And how's this? And I'm like, uh-uh. You ain't going to trick me. I know what you're doing. You're trying to get ammunition for later. But that wasn't it. I want to let you know, this is not a perfect church. I mean, all you have to do, look down the row you're sitting on. Don't do it right now, but there's some jacked up people around you right now. <laughs> they messed up. This is not a perfect church, but this is a great place to bring the dead things in your life and let them be exposed and I want to tell you there isn't anything that you're going to tell us that's going to shock us like there's nothing you're going to tell us like oh well I've heard some whoppers in my life but (laughs) that's a sin I just don't know how to classify that one Uh, let me tell you about another church (laughs) I don't care what it is Man, I'm struggling with my relationship with my wife. I'm yelling and screaming at my kids. I'm addicted to this or that. I look at porn. I struggle with my sexual identity. There's nothing that you can tell us. You would expose. It's going to throw us off. You could even tell us that you listen to Justin Bieber. We're still going to love you. We're still going to accept you. Like literally nothing you could tell us. Because, not because we're great, because Jesus let us expose some things. And and until we did, we couldn't find life either. Also, a lot of times I find that the dead thing, the dead thing in your life may not be a sin, it may not be a struggle, it may not be something like that, it may may not be a hurt from your past or or an addiction or, or a habitual sin, it may just be complacency. It may be that you're at a place where the thing that is dead in you is your passion for your purpose and your calling. And so you come to church and you go to a service, but that's about it. In my experience, what stinks more than anything is when you pile a bunch of Christians into a building and that's all they do. I find the Christians are a lot like manure. You pile them up, they stink. But if you spread them out some, they could bring life to something around them. 
But it ain't going to happen if you just come into a church building. It's the reason why we have life groups. It's the reason why we have serve groups. Because you got to spread yourself out some. And if you'll do that, God will use you and use what's happened in your life. And use the dead things that could stink. But when they're under the right light, with the right condition, God's going to bring life out of it. It's really good preaching. (laughs) Also, Jesus shows his glory. This is the whole purpose of this whole situation that Jesus is setting up. To show his glory. When the news first came to Jesus, he said, this sickness will not end in death. Okay, now he didn't say that you wouldn't go through death. He went through death. Just like the 23rd song, yea, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're going to have to walk through the valley. You may walk through some death, but with Jesus, nothing ever ends in death. With Jesus, nothing ever ends in death, even death. With Jesus, doesn't end in death. But he's, he's allowing these things to happen. He's going through death so that God's glory can be magnified. Because God's glory shows up best when things seem dead. He loves doing that. He loves taking a hopeless situation, a hopeless story, and bringing hope, bringing life. This is so important for us to see. He comes and he says, take the stone away. And then he says, Lazarus, come out. In the original Greek, it was literally like this. Lazarus, here. Like he was calling a dog. Lazarus, here. I'm convinced that if he was not specific in calling Lazarus, that every dead person around there would have come back to life. It would have been like the biblical version of the walking dead. Just everybody like, what? Because he's showing off. He's showing off his glory. He's showing off his glory. The word for glory in the original language is the word kavod. It means weightiness. It means weight. Why? Because sometimes your equation looks like this. Pain plus frustration plus rejection plus hurt plus bitterness plus financial issues equals death. And Jesus is showing up and he's saying, well, get a load of this. Because no matter what you have in the scale of your lights, your situation and circumstance in the scale of your life, when you throw Jesus on the table, it's always going to tilt towards the will of God. Every single time. And he's just saying, look, every once in a while, you're going to need his super on your natural to move and to change things. And that's what he's bringing. He's bringing his glory. And it's going to change. What does Jesus do with dead things? Well, he embraces them with emotion, with tears. He exposes them so they can have purpose again. He exhibits his glory in them so that something that seems hopeless can have hope again. But it doesn't end there. Jesus also restores things through relationships. He restores things through relationships. Because Jesus said, now loosen and let him go. Unwrap this guy. Let, let's, not, let's not just bring him back to life. But let's take away the things that ever represented death. Let's take the dead things off of him. He's bound up in them. And some of you, you're at this stage right now. You're at this stage like you're alive, but you're walking around like a mummy. 
but you can't even really walk around. You're constrained. Lazarus actually had his hands and his feet bound. He couldn't communicate. His face was wrapped up in this stuff. So literally, physically, but metaphorically, he couldn't move forward in life until he was set free. If you miss this, you're going to miss a huge kingdom principle because here's the deal. Lazarus had no ability to free himself. And the people are looking around and saying, well, isn't that Jesus' job? No, hold on a second. Jesus could have gone down there, but he told the people around him, you see him? Set him free. Get that stuff out of his life. Get that stuff out of his life. Look, salvation is a powerful and it can be a personal thing in your life. But at the end of the day, if you want to be resurrected and restored, it's going to take a family. It's going to take people around you. It's not a self-help thing. This is about the body of Christ. You cannot experience everything God has for you until you allow somebody to come in and help restore you. Why do we have life groups? Why do we have serve groups? Why are we a lot more than a church service? Because the only way you're going to see the dead things in your life truly resurrected, it's going to be through relationships with other people. It's going to be with people that say, oh, well, brother, I've been where you've been. I've had dead things like that in my life. I was bound up, but by the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, somebody came along and took it off. And that's what we're going to do with you. We're going to help you get free from these things. Not because we're great, but because Jesus is great. But we're going to help you with, we're going to be one of the greatest physical representations of God's glory here on earth. That is relationships to the body of Christ. That's what we're going to be. These guys, they come down and they take this stuff off and then he, he's good. You're gonna have to have something in your life that's gonna help you set free, get you set free and restored. It's gotta be relationships. This is a family thing. That's what God has for you. So I don't know where you're at. Some of you, you're like, as dead as can be. And, and not only dead, but you've got a big old stone just rolled up in the front of it. And God is ready. He's ready. He's ready to let those things be exposed. Some of you have been through that process. You may be saved. You may be saved by grace, but, but you're still bound up. I don't know where you're at in it, but I know God does. I know his spirit is good. I know he wants to deal with some of it right now. So let's close our eyes, bow our heads. Father God, I just thank you for your spirit that's here. And I thank you that these, these aren't my words. They're just your words. I thank you that you're... You're moving in this place right now. I just pray, God, over every person. God, I pray if there's dead things that they've been afraid to expose, I pray that you embolden them, God, to be able to go and get help so those things can be exposed and that every one of us, Lord, we realize that you're gonna meet us where we're at. You're not a God that's distant. You're not a God that can't relate to our pain and to our hurt. You're gonna meet us where we're at but you're also not gonna leave us there. You're gonna expose what is dead. You're gonna throw your glory at it and then we're gonna be restored because of the body of Christ. I pray that every person in here, they would walk through that. Even today, God, that they would, they would walk out of these doors and they would just walk past the life groups. They would just walk past those tables, but you would lead them into a group where they can experience life and life to the full. They wouldn't do life alone. Thank you for that. If you're here today, maybe... It's hard for you to connect and relate to some of the things I'm talking to. 
And, and here's the deal. There's a good chance the reason why that might be is because you don't have a relationship with God. The word says that the way that you have a relationship with him is, is through his son, Jesus. It's just you simply confessing that you need a savior. It's you saying, but I, I know that I can't be saved until I surrender my life. I've got to surrender my life. You've got to give over control of your life to God's plan, to God's purpose. Make Jesus your Lord. Then he'll be your savior. And maybe you've never done that before. Maybe you have before, but, but some things happen. And it caused some death, and it caused some, some hurt, and it caused some bitterness, and it caused some of those things. And, and right now, you just need to rededicate your life. You need to reestablish Jesus on the throne of your life, on the throne of your heart. If you're in either one of those places, I promise you this is not about embarrassing you or pointing you out. But just as a sign of you just confessing, I need Jesus in my life right now. I need him. I want to make him my Lord and Savior. If that's you, just slip your hand. As soon as I can see you, put your hand down. I just want to see you. Anybody in this room? I need that. Got it right here. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? Anybody else? Make sure I see you. Okay. I saw four hands. Anybody else? Okay. Father God, I thank you. Every person that just raised your hand, look, at one point or another, you need to go public with the decision that you're making. The best way to do that is through water baptism. But right there in your chair, just talk to God. Every person raise your hand. Some of you didn't raise your hand, and maybe you should have. It's okay. God knows your heart, but you just say a simple prayer. God, here's my life. I know it's messed up. I know I've sinned. I know I can't save myself. I believe that you sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for my sin. And Jesus, right now, I confess you as my Lord. I confess you as my Savior. I need you. Help me to understand what it means to live for you. Lead me by your spirit, by the word, and help me to be supported and encouraged through the body of Christ. I want to live for you forever. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how you deal with the dead things that are in our life. But you don't just help us deal with it so that we can go on just doing our own thing, but you do it so that we can go and be salt and light so we can be a testimony, so that we can display your love, your glory, your power through our lives and how we live and how we love others. We thank you for that opportunity. We're gonna carry it with us in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Come on, if you're thankful for God's word, let's give him a hand this morning.